Hello everyone and welcome to another Comedians interview for my blog and podcast A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 950 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. I'm absolutely delighted today to welcome my special guest Mr. Mervyn Stutter. Yes! <laughs> Hello, Merv. How are you? I'm all right. I've just got a feeling that's not the sound of the fringe this year. One person <laughs> clapping. Oh, mate. I, 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 I am so hoping it's going to happen. I really am. But it's, well, it will, but in some yeah. form. But I, it'll be um, so depleted, I think. Oh, mate. I tell you. It, well, last year, I, I was so disappointed and frustrated that of course i couldn't I, I couldn't go then and and you're such a pivotal part of it when i go which we'll talk about later but um oh man I'm, I'm i'm absolutely i'm genuinely delighted to be talking to you tonight uh, to, to when it's ruined my so. track record is i mean that's a hang on, covid has ruined it last year would have been the 29th of the of the pig of the fringe and this year would have been the 30th exactly. well, someone's phoning in Somebody <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm terribly busy. I'm talking to somebody <laughs> online. Um, I'm being interviewed by the famous Richard Gill. <laughs> yes, would you mind fucking off? Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Brilliant. Thank you. I hope it wasn't urgent, Merv. <laughs> it was my, my promoter. <laughs> Dear old Pete. Yeah. Anyway, well, sorry, go on. Let's go way back to the start of your illustrious career. Um, you're a comedian, a satirical songwriter, an actor and a scriptwriter with a very long career, my friend. Can you please yeah. tell me how did it all begin? Uh, professionally? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, because I've been doing stuff as you do through your teens. Um, uh, but I always wanted to, I've always felt terribly comfortable on a stage. Um, it, it's not that, oh, it's my natural home, but I just always felt comfortable up there. Um, and I, you know, just that business of communicating with people, I suppose. Um, but uh, it, it started professionally when I came out of a, a teacher training college um, where I was doing drama. And I was really pleased I went to teacher training college because it, it um, you know, acting college is great. Acting schools are great, and they're for real proper actors. Uh, I, I, I mean, I do act, and I'm pretty good at it, but I'm not like you know the, the fully trained people. Um, so I'm, um, I came out wanting to be it, do it. And in 1974, when I left college, um, there was plenty of work around because we'd had um, a Labour government through the 60s. And we had the wonderful Jenny Lee as an arts minister. And there was an explosion because the arts were valued then. As you may remember, the arts were incredibly important politically until Mrs. Thatcher came in where she said science is more important. And, and so there were lots of cuts to arts budgets and everything, everything started to suffer. Yeah. Not that we've bounced back to the, uh, I believe, to the Jenny Lee days, but it was just a wonderful period of time. And... Uh, 1974, there were plenty of companies out there looking for actor, and uh, because I play guitar and wrote songs already, I've been doing folk clubs for years, um, actor musicians were a premium and people were looking for them. And I came down strangely where I am now, I'm living in Bournemouth now, but I started working uh, with Patrick Barlow, um, uh, he mostly famous, I, I think, for the National Theatre of Brent days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and we, we formed, he was forming a company down here. And we stayed in a big house, um, all of us. It was when I look back, it was very much like a hippie commune kind of. All the actors in one house rehearsing in the living room, piling into a cheap, crappy van, and going off and doing stuff. Oh, Fantastic. golden days! <laughs> it leaked carbon monoxide into the back, and so every time we got to a gig, we couldn't work out. We all ran to the toilet, made ourselves vomit, and then went on stage because oh, we had right. carbon monoxide poisoning. That's why. Anyway, um, and then it, then I just went it went on in theatre, did all sorts of things. Uh, I wound up in repertory, you know. Um, which was lovely uh, up at the Duke's Playhouse, Lancaster, which you will probably know as Very you're from well, Dolan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Theatre Royal uh, Stratford East, where I had a great time. I wrote a musical down there that was really well received. Um, got great notices. Um, 
and then Nottingham Playhouse and uh, Manchester Library, you know, all the, the big um, uh, repertory theatres. And so I, I did a lot of work as an actor. Having sort of did, uh, not my own talent earlier on, I did get a lot of work as an actor. Um, and in fact, my first ever fringe was as an actor. <clears throat> I started doing the comedy song thing in 1987 up at the fringe, but I, my first fringe was 1982. Wow. Where um, I was part of a, tr a three-hander um, called Sus by Barry Keefe, and it was about um, uh, the police and the way they treated uh, black men, young black men, uh, and harassed them, which was what was happening at the time in London, and yeah. some, obviously it's, it still is in some ways. Um, but back then it was you know, pretty rife, and Sus was the law of suspicion which we don't take um, laws off the statute book in this country. And it was a law of suspicion from the Napoleonic Wars. It was a way of tidying up injured soldiers begging on the streets of Dover and the South before they could crawl home. They just whipped them off the street and locked them up. Right. And um, so uh, this was the using a lot, the law of suspicion. So we did that. And, and my first experience in Edinburgh uh, and seeing Edinburgh Festival for the first no, not for the first time. I came up in 1975 as a, as a punter, but as a professional, I, I uh, was in 1982. And uh, 784, for any Scottish listeners will know, it was an absolute um, renowned left-wing, politically motivated, no-holds-barred uh, uh, theatre company. And John McGrath, who started it, started uh, 784 England, and I came up with 784 England. Um, so that was my uh, first uh, first fringe, as well as part of my acting career. Um, and the songs went on. I carried on doing songs. I, I wound up doing a s songs for um, current affairs programmes. Um, so the, the theatre was going along nicely. I was working in theatre, going around the country, happy as Larry. Um, and BBC producers, sometimes the TV, ITV producers too, um, would give me a call. I mean, there was a programme, this is for your older listeners, um, Robert Robinson. Um, wow. Well. <laughs> <show. laughs> yeah. Oh, you're an older listener, right? Um, <laughs> you look so young on the screen. He had a show, uh, Start the Week, or Stop the That's Week, sorry, it was Friday, Stop the Week. That's right, yeah. Stop the Week. And then it was, which basically was four pompous artists talking about something. And in the middle, they would have a topical song, um, which you were told to write Thursday lunchtime, and it was recorded Friday lunchtime. Wow. So you had. You had um, an overnighter songwriting moment, um, and it was quite quite difficult. It wasn't like write a song about I don't know Boris Johnson's incompetence or <laughs> or, or that sort of thing. It was uh, it was. Uh, I remember the classic one was Michael the producer. You sit by your landline, right? No, no casual phone phone calls in the middle of an interview. No on your mobile. You had to sit by your landline and wait at 12 o'clock and then he would ring, pick up the phone and you just hear a voice go, hello Mervyn, it's Michael here. Um, we'd like a song for tomorrow lunchtime, please, on ambiguity. Ambiguity, bye. <laughs> <laughs> You're flaming Nora, ambiguity, jeez. Anyway, you had to do it, you had to do it. Um, so I did that for some years and I know it went. I, you know, people obviously knew that's what I'd done and so I yeah. then other topical songs. And they went on for a long time. So, and so lots and lots of songs, I got lots of gigs. Sure, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, because you had the grounding with the songs, yeah. did that lead to a lot more gigs? Or did or it certainly got you known? Uh, no, I can't, yes. I can, carry on working in theatre. I carried on writing songs if required for theatre shows, yeah. which I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, writing for characters on stage is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but the actual... In the middle of the 80s, I think I wound up... Well, early 80s, I wound up in London again. Uh, because one, because circumstances allow me to move back to where I, well, London, where I was born, um, but also the comedy boom is taking off um, alternative comedy. But I, I wasn't alternative alternative because it was a, um, I, I was came from the hippie generation, and the alternative thing was more punk generation, I think. <laughs> and of course, they didn't really like hippies, did they? Um, but but also I had a, I had a theatre background, you know, so I would write. Mid, you know, opening, middles and ends to yeah. shows, <laughs> you know, whereas a lot of the shows then were just straightforward, my name's Sid Binge, good night, <laughs> you know, where I'd like to, you know, I'd like to build to a Christian. 
so I did all right, but I I was not part of the the comedy crowd really in that sense. Sure, but um, in it's quite. It's not stable. It, yeah, it's it's. Stuck on my screen. Thank you. Are we are we all right again now, or how how are we doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Okay, I'm all right. If you're all right, okay, that's Good. fine. We shall. Uh, yeah, we shall endeavour. Um. Uh, yeah, we'll carry on. It's in. It's interesting what you say because my dear old dad's legacy. My dad w uh, was president of Nalgo in 1984, and his legacy was mm. that he formed unison with the other, uh, with the other, u with the other unions. Wow! And um, the, the really? arts, they they fought for the arts to keep going as, as uh, uh, you know they, they, they were passionate about it and it's and it's fascinating what you were saying about um, as soon as another government comes into power how they don't necessarily lower the arts but 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 they but they spend more time on different areas and different things well they do, well they do unfortunately they do yeah almost denigrate the arts. I mean, they wanted to remove them from the curriculum in, in, in schools yeah. in some uh, some areas, um, yeah. which is absolutely foolish. The idea yeah. that the arts aren't important in creating complete human beings. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky at school, you know, a, a, a man arrived out of nowhere uh, as an English master. His name was Alec Davison, although he was known as Harry at school, I don't know why. And, um, and together with the Greek master, Dave Day, David Day, they put on plays and they didn't mess about. They put on big things. I mean, to put the Bacchae onto yeah. stage um, where, you know, the Bacchic women have to go into a kind of drug drink induced <laughs> trance of sexual and bestial mayhem. <laughs> and to, you know, to, to, and for one of the characters to, to kill her own son who was peering in to see what it was like. Um, it was a huge thing to do and, yeah. and they did it. And, and, what happened for me was in 1964, quite a centenary of Shakespeare's death, they put on The Merry Wives of Windsor and it went to southern Germany. So we toured southern Germany. Um, it was a, a huge thing. And what was wonderful was they had a stage crew and a front of house group who were the stage crew number two. And yeah. they would switch each day they would switch and on tour obviously this was um, most important and and but the front of house would do the tumbling the selling of the oranges and all the things that would happen in elizabethan england and although people like myself you know who would be on stage doing lines and all the rest of it and doing the acting um and you could say this was very important in my growth and development which it was the, the fact that there were people at school, students at school who hadn't got any of that talent or bottle to get up there and give it a go. Yeah. But the fact that they were part of it, part of this team, part of this uh, creation of Elizabethan England for the audience when they came in, they said it, it, it what's amazing about the arts is it will increase your self-esteem and therefore all your other subjects will improve. Exactly. Because of your self-confidences and and, and it, well, you can see already, I get quite angry about it because yeah. it is so important in creating total human beings. I and totally if agree. you can, if, if you can take a bunch of kids who are, are being dead Larry and they get into physical dance, mm. what often happens is their other subjects go up because they go into the other study periods with a with a self a, a sense of self that has been improved by the anyway by the arts. I totally so, yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're happily writing songs and performing and everything. Um, was there a point in, in early in your career where you thought, I can do this full time, this is going to make me a living? Yes, um, as, soon as, I, as soon as I left college, because yeah, yeah. The, um, the first job, I was writing songs for shows. Right, right. Um, so, okay, so they were very... Um, uh, sort of popping into community centres, old age pensioner homes, sure. it was that sort of community-based company. Um, but it wasn't long before I was doing it in theatres. I, I mean, first, the first theatre show I wrote was a thing called Skid, Skidaddle, songs for uh, working with a, a playwright. And it was at the Belgrade Theatre. 
Coventry. Coventry. And yeah, so yeah, I yeah, watched no, the wow. first time on the main stage. Wow. And then I wrote the songs down at uh, Theatre Royal Stratford East um, in the, uh, I don't know when that was, 18, 1979, 1980. Um, to watch a, a professional choreographer come in, um, an MD come in, and, you, and I sat at the back of the auditorium and thinking, these were the songs I wrote in my living room. And they're now being performed <laughs> by this how, huge cast. How come? You know, and there's a, there's a band. How fantastic that? And, <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm in, I'm made, you know. That's but of course, brilliant. you're only as good as your last show. It doesn't mean anything, really. That is brilliant. Um, do you have a process for writing the comic songs? Does the words come first or the music come first? Do you have a process that you go about doing it? I think uh, if you're looking at the comedy song, as a, it, you look at the words first, yeah. um, it, can be an, it can be one of two things. One is you've, you've written a new tune or you parody something. Yeah. Um, parodies can be great. I find parodies very handy for when you're opening a live show. If I go out to a, on tour, a, a parody, people kind of, you know, they know what's going on. If you parody well, if the words you're replacing shape like the originals a bit or have the same uh, uh, tonal quality, if the words are very close, it can be very effective. Um, I mean, uh, one of the first times I saw this, I think it was my first show in Edinburgh, 1987, Major Ron Ferguson, Sarah Ferguson's dad, yeah, was found yeah, coming yeah. out of the massage parlour. Um, and he waved, and he just waved, because you know, he got spa like she had. And he just waved at the photographers, and he'd been in there, you know, having some of the extras. And um, so I just started playing the minor, the E minor C opening of Bowie, and then sang "Hand Relief for Major Ron." Yeah, you know, and in fact, that's all you had to sing. Actually, you didn't have to. I wrote the rest of it, but it was unnecessary. The laugh, right at that point. Because it was a very current piece of news. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so if you get that right, that, um, and the other one is uh, you don't. I, I think the secret is don't write a complicated tune. Um, if you keep it simple, then they're focusing on the words and the the of attitude, course, yeah. or the criticism you're making of something politically or or socially or or the joke. Um, it's it it's not complicated. So country or western is a really good vehicle. <laughs> Three chords, nice, easy. Yeah. Um, how do you? Well, that, that, that's that's what I. That's how I keep comedy song. Sure. Yeah. Um, how do you cope with any nerves? Do you get any nerves before you, before you go on stage? How do you cope with them at all? Uh, firstly, try and pick gigs where you're not going to be exposed as the wrong person <laughs> in the wrong place. <laughs> if you if you turn up, I did a corporate once, and I thought, what the hell am I doing here? No one's bloody listening. <laughs> They're all getting pissed, looking out to get laid, and throwing bread rolls at each other. And I've got a carefully crafted, funny song about their business. Yeah, that's when you think, oh, I'll just jack it in, you know. And you <laughs> yeah, could leave yeah. the stage; no one would notice. No one would notice. And so, pick the right gig is the first thing. Yeah. Um, I've never had vomit-inducing uh, nerves. Right. You know, some people, Hancock used to say he threw up before he went on. You know, yeah, yeah. I've never had that. I've always, as I said, felt comfortable on stage. Um, it's, I've always felt it was a nice place for me to be. Um, preparation is pretty key. Yeah. Um, I did uh, my attitude. If I have thought, oh God, this is a big one, playing a big theatre. Oh, how are we going to? Um, you have to say to yourself. I've written the songs, I've rehearsed the song, I know this show, I've done it before, um, trust. Yeah, and yeah. it's the same with going into an exam. At the point before you step into the exam room, at the point before you leave the wings onto the stage, there is nothing more you can do. No. There's absolutely nothing more you can do. Um, uh, plus, yeah, I think the other thing for me is I don't mind it if the show falls to bits. Yeah. I quite like, I quite like the dis <laughs> when yeah. something goes wrong, because yeah. it means I'm going to be talking to this audience about this thing now and it's not a prepared moment yeah, and if yeah. I am if I can be funny with it they're getting something very special that night because it's never happened before uh, and, and they know it's not fun. So, you know it's, it's improvising if you're improvising they're, they're having a great time yeah what's what's very interesting about your act is that you're very you're a very warm and endearing performer so when you walk out onto the stage 
the audience immediately takes to you and they're honed in and they're listening and you've got them and I think I think that's where your confidence comes from because you can see it in your act which is wonderful to watch I think with uh, Richard you're uh, looking of course at uh, Edinburgh uh, and I think there's a major difference between um, the Edinburgh Festival and gigs around the country sure, yeah. um, in, in that in Edinburgh, and I say this to young comics who are coming in from you know the, some fairly hard-nosed comedy clubs, yeah. where, where the audience can be rough as hell, you know. Uh, and I say to them, don't just slow down a bit for a start, because I know why you're going fast. It's so people can't get in. <laughs> the audience can't get in. <laughs> you know the Ben Elton thing. Just keep motoring. Yeah, out. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I said, you do what you've got to realise, and I'd forgotten it when I went up, and I've been doing theatre for years, is that um, Edinburgh allows you the joy of the pause right. um, in your comedy. It, um, because when you look out, these people aren't brand new. They're not a, a crowd that's turned up at the pub on a Monday night because there's some comedy on. These people have bought a ticket to see you. Yeah. Your name is on the show. So they've come to see you. They have an allegiance to the money they've spent already. So they want you to be all right. They haven't, they haven't paid 15 quid or whatever it is to come in and give you a hard time necessarily, especially if you, well, maybe 11 o'clock at night they have, but, um, <laughs> you know, bear baiting, you know. I don't, but mostly they've turned up to be attentive and yeah. it's only down to you to let them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that, that's fascinating, so, but true. So there is not. a warm, that, the deal is already quite warm. It's not a brand, you know, say Monday, Monday evening kind of, a comedy club and if you've done Edinburgh more than once people and people come back they go oh yeah Mervyn yeah we enjoyed him last year let's go and see him again that's a second degree of relationship yeah and of course you've got compare which is quite different from being the solo act yeah yeah the compare is Mr Nice Guy really or yeah, should be yeah. in my book yeah. and you're there to say hello little bit of chit chat and then introduce people and, and I've, I've always believed in treating people nicely on the stage. People, have, if I've invited somebody down to show off their talent, to do five minutes from their theatre show, their dance show, uh, whatever it is, my job isn't to, to, to mock it or take their mickey or throw as many gags at it as possible. My job is to make them better. And if they can, if in them, when I'm talking to them, it's a, a chance for them to be even better, to, to, to impress the audience more. Yeah. And it's incredibly important to do that because that's why you, the audience, are there. You're not there to watch me being clever. That's the last thing you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if someone tries to clever me, if someone tries to put me down, well, maybe I'll just <laughs> just put a dig in, you know. <laughs> but honestly, um, uh, there have been a couple of occasions when somebody wanted to have a pop at me on stage. I don't know why, but they did. And you I could sense the audience going... But the audience going, mm. <laughs> and you thought, yeah, you're losing, mate. You're <laughs> exactly, losing big yeah, time, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so um, compares, it's a nice job. It's a nice thing to do. I, yeah. I like it. I like being on my feet, winging it, going into a conversation with the people, um, listening to what they have to say, picking yeah. out another question. I have prepared questions in the wings, which I glance at, and then I go on. But if I can, if I can do it all without looking at the board, then great, you know. Brilliant. Um, you've appeared and written uh, many successful series for TV and radio, as well as documentaries and plays. Um, describe your writing process and how does it differ from appearing live? Uh, yeah, you're right. I had um, I had a, a golden period um, where I. <laughs> Still up. <laughs> um, that's all you have. You don't, you don't come around. You're very lucky if you come round again. Um, I'd like to, but uh, I've got I've got the, the idea. I, I tried last year, year before last, to come round again. But I had a, a sort of a, a ten year period where um, people were liking what I was doing. Yeah. It's when you're the new face. I mean, I was old. I was over forty, but on the radio, you were the new voice, the new face on radio. Um, and I did, uh, funny if it came off the comedy song in, in, in um, what would it be? 
late eight, late nineties, I was doing a song a week for Brian Hayes on Sunday on Radio Two. Right. Hayes on Sunday, and it uh, it was there. The song was the last bit, just before twelve o'clock, and I do the song. Um, I ditched the piano because there wouldn't be one in a sort of DJ studio. So you get the guitar, you're up in the corner against the mic. That's got no space at all, and you do the song. And after two years of this, Jim Moyer, uh, an ex-TV variety executive who was running to at the time, called me and he said, I don't know who you are. Um, he said, but you're uh, funny and you're intelligent. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that'll do. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> and he said, no. um, what, do you, what else do you want to do? And I said, well, out in the wider world, I'm doing stuff about old hippies getting older, what I call comedy for menopausal flower children. And he went, <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's the age group we want to make Radio 2 about. And yeah, yeah. if you remember, on a bigger level, Wogan was was hired and he had um, the togs and all that. And he course, yeah, he was yeah. playing to that 40, 50-year-old, you know, the baby boomer generation. And what a clever decision by anybody. Oh, who should we play to? Why not the biggest social group in the country, the baby boomers? Yeah. Perfect. So um, I had a, I, I put a comedy show on, and it was called Love 40 New Balls, Please. And it was just a golden moment because he gave me a Thursday night and he gave me um, uh, a Saturday lunch. And I thought, okay, they don't do comedy on a Sunday lunch anymore, which was my upbringing listening to the wireless in the 50s <laughs> and 60s. Um, and they, uh, so Saturday lunch is the closest I'm going to get to my wireless moments. Um, so that's great. And um, we, we uh, got the series written and, 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 and performed, a major cast, lovely people, and went out on the Thursday night, the first one. Friday morning, the producer calls me and said, I've had Jim on the phone. He went, oh, blimey, right, okay. And he went, you've got a second series. And you go, wow. This wow. is one man saying, that's a decision. And he trusted his gut. He said, right, I've had one, one episode, one episode, and the guy's got, and there was six shows a series. That's brilliant. It was a brilliant moment. And then I wound up doing similar sort of stuff um, on Radio 4. The show was called uh, Getting Nowhere Fast. And while I was talking to the um, commissioning editor, she said, have you ever thought about doing archive stuff? And I said, oh, I don't know, what do you mean? Um, like the history of workers' playtime? She went, no one's ever done that. <laughs> I said, well, it's the longest running piece of radio ever from Blitz to the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. I listened to it at lunchtime as a, as a school kid. And said, no, you've got it, go. I mean, it was a ridiculously hard job to do because you couldn't get a piece of it wrong. You had to get all your social history, your political history, your fashion history, your, your yeah. comedy history, your radio history. All of that had to be absolutely correct because you know what radio listeners are like. They will, you know, you didn't get that right. So you had to be, so it was a major job. Um, uh, so, so that was sort of documentaries and I got lots of documentaries after that. Yeah. And then I just said to her, do you think they'll take a play from me? Because I've got this idea for a play. And uh, I called it Going Troppo, and it, which is a, uh, an Australian phrase for, I think, getting heat stroke. Right. Ah, going Troppo, mate. And um, so I called it that. And it was a sort of spoof on Desert Island Discs, but um, actually going there. And a bloke being abandoned. It, the, the pilot went out on, I think, August 31st, 1939, and they dispatched this, this ukulele player to the island. And then on September the 3rd, and we declared war on Germany, and they forgot all about him. Um, <laughs> oh, I like yeah. that. That's great. He's rediscovered <laughs> as an 80-year-old um, on, on the island uh, by, by a, a bored researcher looking for a good yeah, job. Um, so I did plays, and... Um, and then that was a nice little period. And the, and the difference between that and songs is that you you write for characters. So sure. if I'm on stage, whatever I say is, is likely to be me and my views. Yeah. But if I, when you're writing characters, you can put the most unpleasant things in people's mouths to make a scene work. Um, <laughs> so the really ugly part of your brain can be deployed. <laughs> look, it's, look, somebody like Steve Coogan or Al Murray or somebody like that, yeah. you know, the character, they can really go to Oh, yeah, if you do character comedy, they can say whatever the hell you like. Yeah. <laughs> so, <wouldn't> they? <laughs> you know. But no, I really liked writing uh, characters, but then I suppose that's my theatre history as well, yeah. you know. It's in, it's interesting what you say about the play because um, other than this blog, which which I believe is the most creative thing I've done, 
the other big creative thing was I wrote a play myself. I, I, I wrote it uh -huh. originally for the Edinburgh Fringe, but I've never taken it oh. up there, and I will do it one year. It's called The Applicant, and uh, we did three performances of it for Comic Relief, and I got over two and a half grand for the performances. It's about it's wow. about uh, it's basically me. It's about me, it's it's about a bloke who comes down to London from Carlisle. He has a very successful girlfriend, and he can't get a job, so he has a series of interviews, and he's never had a, an interview before, and he he gets more confident, more progressively better. And when he gets offered his job in the in the penultimate act. Uh, he dies. He, the interviewer kills him. But it's all long-winded plot and everything. But um, the, the last scene is him at the gates of heaven or hell, and look, and 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 this voice is saying, "We've been we've been watching you on planet Earth, and we think." Uh, the ideal job for you is interviewing corpses between heaven and hell. Uh, that's that's it. And I shrugged my uh, shrugged my shoulders, and that's it done. Um, when well, I wrote yeah. it, it was all monologue interview, monologue interview, and it was myself and my friend. I, I had the one role, and my friend had all the interviews. He played all the interviewers. So I, yeah, because yeah. I wrote all these monologues, I had to set the play up. And the first night we did it, I ran out. I was like a rabbit in headlights, and I forgot the monologue. And I wrote the thing. <laughs> and I was terrified. I was absolutely, I was, I was, just, oh, give up. And as soon as he walked on, the interviewer, we were away. And uh, yeah. um, I, I was delighted because I got my best joke in it. I called him Norman Oliver Hope, the, uh, the interviewee, of course, no hope. <laughs> so, you know, one day maybe the posters appear, but that, that was 2007 we did that. But it is, um, I think, um, rehe uh, rehearsing and saying script is, is a lot different to just, you're not doing it off the cuff live, but you're making it look like it's the first time it's being done. Yeah, and you're working uh, probably with other people on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so fascinating. Let's move on to Edinburgh properly because um, uh, my I am very fortunate to be able to go to the Edinburgh Fringe every year. It's my holiday, and I first went in two thousand and five, uh, and I've been going every year ever since. And as soon as I step off the train at Waverley, at Waverley. The atmosphere just hits you, and you think, "I'm going to have the most amazing time." This must be what it's like when you go up there. You're, you, because you've got this lunchtime showcase um, yeah. that 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 you put on every single day. You you must have that same feeling when you go up there. It is the greatest arts festival in the world. Yes, it. We are early. We go up there before it opens. Right. So we arrive on the Tuesday, and I think it officially opens on a Friday or the Saturday. Yeah. Um, and we've tried going up earlier than that, but it's, it's not, nobody's doing anything, right. and they're still building it. So what yeah. we are often arrive in is when they're still putting up bits of the, uh, the venues, uh, which is a bit of a shocker. Um, because uh, you, as you, you would, you, you used to walk into it fully formed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and we get our passes sorted out and introduce ourselves and go around and meet a few of the PR um, departments of the, yeah, uh, yeah, the venues yeah. and introduce new people and all the rest. And uh, then we go out that Wednesday afternoon, evening and start seeing previews and things. And because uh, we have to get seven pieces of uh, you know, a, a span, but seven pieces, comedy, theatre, music, uh, dance, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, and we must make it wide. Every show must have width to it. You can't have too much comedy or too much theatre. Um, and we open on the Saturday. We must have seven ready to go. Wow. And then seven on the Sunday and seven on the Monday and seven on the Tuesday. Yeah. And in fact, we used to take the Tuesday off. We don't now because it's a two-for-one day. It's yeah. a great way of letting people know we're here. Um, we go right through to the sort of the middle, somewhere in the middle, and then we take that day off. And often, some of the team change around that day. Not all at once; otherwise, we'd have a complete 
Um, so we'd stagger the... Because um, so, um, so, if you're part of the festival and, and you arrive, um, it, you still got to get into the rhythm of it. So you need some, some of the team one to carry on yeah. to assist team two in, you know. Um, but yeah, we have to keep we have to keep finding seven bits every day. That's brilliant. Um, your pick of the fringe show at the Edinburgh Festival every year—it's legendary. I go when I go, I see about fifty shows in a week, and I'm absolutely exhausted from going. But your lunchtime shows set up what is a very good judgment of what to see that day that week or whatever um, indeed your 90-minute lunchtime showcase has been running for nearly 30 years congratulations mm. making it the, <laughs> the longest running show at the festival i have been yeah. going to watch it since 2005 i'm just reading this because i wanted to I, I wanted to let you know and with you wearing your trademark pink suit Armed with guitar, you are the perfect compare to introduce acts of all performance genres, as you say. Please, can you tell me how a show is prepared? You say you have a team going out researching. No. Do you have, well, do you have more than seven acts, say, ready so you can pick them? Or how, do, how does it work? Do you whittle them down? Or? No, we pretty much uh, turn up. Uh, we have a team of five in, um, uh, producer no team of yeah producer and four um, and uh, so those five people will see shows yeah. um, we have a morning meeting um, and so the first meeting you say what have you arrived with you've all looked at the program um, what have you got um, we try not to have too many big risks of the opening weekend because um, if people go out and see things on a, uh, absolutely well could, could be good could be bad um, and we have too many no's we're in trouble so we want to have a pile up of you know good yeses and so that we've got the shows as I said just now running into the opening days sure, and yeah. once we've got a bit of planning ahead then we can get into risk taking and find stuff that we've never heard of the people before or seen before you know, especially if it's coming from abroad um, that's always uh, exciting um, so it's a very simple process in terms of the, the calendar of the day. Uh, you have a meeting at nine in the morning. Um, what did you see yesterday? Good, bad, no. Uh, good, bad, uh, or uh, maybe. Um, then it's uh, what are you going to um, what are you going to see today? So we don't get anybody clashing. All the producers making all these notes in the book, and then they go off and phone or email all the people that they've seen and want to book, because we then have a look on the wall and we pencil things in, trying, as I said earlier, to make certain we've got a bit of everything every day. Um, and that suits us. And then we have to make certain if it suits them. And then you've got bits of moving about to happen, maybe. Um, so then the phone calls take place. Then we're down for a tech, because everything has to be teched in for about an hour or so. The, the, the top team, we're mostly at the Pleasants. Um, and we're in Pleasance One these last few years. Perfect um, venue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the tech team have to, we have to feed them into the tech team. They go on stage, do their thing, leave. And, and while they're not being used on stage, I talk with them. Makes, I say, this is how I'm going to deduce you. Do you like it? Um, is this going to be okay? Is there anything I should say in the intro? Uh, do you want to say that hot bit of news about your nomination till afterwards? You know, all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and these are, this is sort of guideline questions I'm thinking of. Again, add more. But you can run it yourselves up there. Tell me, you tell me, um, and I'll go with you. And then we pull everyone back into the dressing room. Uh, some people arrive later. The, the, the comic who comes on, penultimate act is usually a comic. Yeah. They can turn up during the show. They don't have to sit there forever. Um, and then it's down to the crew to get things on and off. Uh, and me what and, crew and they, one, <laughs> they, they can be sometimes they uh, we've had in other venues and um, some people who are a bit uh, you know slouching about the place oh. and i would say there's only one way to do this show with total commitment and energy yeah. if it, yeah. if something goes wrong it's fine the audience know this has been put together just before the show yeah. it's fine don't try and don't kind of go oh god <laughs> none of that you know if i trip over you laugh 
if something gets spilt and needs sweeping up, do it with good humour. Yeah. You know, um, so I have to try and, and pretty much they do because yeah, yeah, if yeah. the crew's in, you know, in good humour, it's a better show. Exactly. Because yeah. they'll go and, and they'll move me gently to the side because they want to put a chair down. And they, while I'm interviewing uh, Act A, uh, Act B stuff is being brought onto stage. Yeah. So, and then um, we, we have a quick chat usually afterwards and then they disappear into the fringe to do more research. Brilliant. And then the whole day repeats and repeats and repeats. Yeah. Uh, but we try never to repeat acts. We always try to have every, every day a, a different selection because people like yourself come all the ones. Sure, yeah. Um, your support for new acts at the fringe is unrivaled. Uh, how does the process of finding new acts come about? Well, it's it's all it's all part of what I just said. Um, yeah. So the so the people going out and looking so at stuff team, yeah. and taking a risk at some point. When we are in, when we are confident, we're in control of the the scheduling. Then we can go out and take risks uh, and see stuff. And then, because if it's like rubbish and it's really poor, and some shows are really poor, yeah. Yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. You don't want to you don't want too many of them coming back because that's a lot of lot of um, research hours wasted. Sure, sure. So so how did the Mervs come about? The Merv Awards. Um, it came about in the very first year. <laughs> um, I was in the cabaret bar, the old cabaret bar at the Pleasance. For those people who go to the Fringe, they will, and wander into the Pleasance. You go into the foyer now and you look to your right and it's a sort of coffee bar, snack kind of place. Yeah. But that used to be the old mahogany cabaret bar. Um, it stank of lunches, an old custard, because <laughs> um, the kitchen put the the stage was put up across the corner and, uh, and the, the door behind the stage was into the kitchens where the warmers were for all the food and the costumes were thrown over the warmers and um, uh, I, I shared the dressing room with the legendary Doug Anthony All-Stars oh, brilliant. Yeah. Who, would, who resolutely would never wash their costumes <laughs> uh, so they stank oh dear <laughs> um, they, they very energetic young boys so they a lot of bodily fluids went into those costumes <laughs> and by by the end of week two you knew who you were showing a dressing room with um, so i did my first show there um and uh my wife uh, produced it and, and and i fronted it and obviously and we just got a bunch of actors that we kind of knew and or grab somebody and say, look, do you want to do some research? Just go and blag a ticket and tell them it's a showcase. We started absolutely with no history, no notoriety, uh, and blagging tickets. We didn't have passes. They didn't, we didn't have passes for years. Um, and it was also, uh, budget-wise, it was a bit of a mess <laughs> because who knew about it, you know? Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. took off almost immediately. The word got out quickly. The press loved it. Yeah. The Scotsman wrote some wonderful things about it. Yeah. Um, but my wife said, because in those days it was uh, more fringy, more shambolic. Um, therefore, lovely things could happen. Lots of spontaneous God, yeah. nonsense could take place. It's very professional now. Uh, but back then, loads of spontaneous nonsense took place. And, and things would go horribly wrong. Um, just after um, Glasnost and the wall came down, a, a Russian country and Western group from Moscow came over. Oh, Can you believe it? A Russian country and Western group. And they, uh, all their equipment got lost in transit. Ooh, I wonder why that was. <laughs> I wonder if the KGB really didn't want them to come uh, and take part well, in the yeah. capitalist ventures. <laughs> but anyway, all their gear, that, they had to go and find gear. And I remember that was a, a moment and we said, yeah, do you know we ought to give them a kind of spirit of the fringe because they carried on and did it, you know. So we started out with the people who succeeded against the odds. Yeah. You know. Well, um, it's wonderful. It really is. It's it's such a good idea for a great outlet of a show. And then people called them the Merns, which yeah. was nice. But um, it, it basically it's the spirit of the fringe award. Yeah. Um, they, they, we don't have so many catastrophes. So, but it, so it's still the same sort of. Um, you kind of know the people who rep, you know, when you meet them and you see their performances. You kind of know the people who are doing things that would fulfil spirit yeah. of the fringe, you know. Uh, and they're and they're much valued, which surprised the hell out of me. Um, one or two really hard those comics who I'd given to before said, 
Oh, I don't know where the, my, my Melbourne one is or my Montreal one, but yours is on the wall in the kitchen, oh, you know, and all wonderful. that. That's wonderful. Right? It's a clip frame. It's yeah. a bloody clip frame with an <laughs> image in it, you know. That's all it is. But it's not a little statue out of my head or anything. No, it's just, you know, it's a clip frame. That's brilliant. Unbelievable. But, but it shows as well just so how just how much people respect you with with going being on your showcase and the awards and everything and the spirit of it that's the yeah. magic you, of the fringe the spirit if it's called the spirit of the fringe award people yeah. say why don't you have you thought about making something a bit better you know and i said well yeah i have and other people what about sponsorship and i'm going yeah we did think about that but if i had sponsorship then we, then it would get messy beyond yeah, messy yeah, and yeah. um you become a commercial enterprise whereas at the moment i'm like everybody else i put the show on out of my own money yeah, like yeah everybody yeah, else yeah. does yeah. and you know okay i've been there a while and so i built up a reputation but that was that's the same for anybody yeah but yeah, my yeah. investment at the yeah. front rather lost i mean i, I don't you know, like oh you you've, you've not just broken even but made a few bob no for years i did not yeah, um, yeah. but i knew people liked it he was doing a good job so you hang in there well and i didn't the, want to upgrade the clip frame is such it was the original idea the clip frame and it's gonna <laughs> stay it's like the pink too it's gonna stay but that but that's testament <laughs> to you as well for keeping it going for so long as well well then we do uh, you're, you're I'm really looking. For, your... I'm looking forward to next year. Next year is. Sorry, is it gone? I was, I was just going to say, is it? 20, oh my! 20, am I 29th next year? 29th year. Be 29. Is 2022 of performance? Yeah. So 2023. Yeah, then 2023 will be uh, the 30th. Right. 30th. That's fine. Just, just one. But what thing. I like about next year. Next yeah. Year. Carry on. Next year is the 75th anniversary of the Fringe. You see. 75th anniversary of the Fringe. So, although this year is going to be a pretty skeletal, I think, yeah. um, if we get it right globally um, and we work out how to live with COVID, because that's what we're going to have to do, yeah. it's not going to be eradicated. Yeah. Um, and then people can come in from abroad. And if we can get, if we can get johnson or whoever to sort out the problem of artists moving from europe to britain and britain to europe which at the moment is not part of the deal although it was promised mm. it's not part of the deal and so the paperwork and the costs are virtually prohibitive so people go oh i won't bother mm. so you know elton john has uh, been in to see um uh, the government complaining that lots of british rock talent now doesn't go and tour easily on the continent which it, you know, which you could do. Mm, mm. EU companies and actors and comedians are going to want to come over. It's a, they will, I guess, if they can find the money. Because, but the costs go up, yeah, and it's yeah, not cheap yeah. to be in Edinburgh anyway. You know. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's hope they can find a way because, God forbid, if 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 the fringe is limited in any way, it it totally. Um, stops new acts or originality or creativity coming into the world and that and it can only be a positive thing to keep it going like you said at the start well you look now you see people say well uh, uh, yeah i can't imagine many companies will be going up this year no. it, i think it'd be if it's going to be much there it's going to be solo acts solo actors yeah, yeah. solo comedians yeah um yeah. and then that's going to be diminished in itself because how much solo work has gone on over the last 18 months to earn money, not just to get your rent and pay your bills, but to actually have some cash to put up to front up a show. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you've got to have some upfront money. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it, it, this year, I think a lot of people won't have that money because they haven't earned it and yeah. therefore they won't come. And then they'll be looking at well, if you know, what if I borrowed it from the bank or my auntie or what? And or, you know, you've got the money. And then you think, well, will I get it back? Yeah. <laughs> that's what's the audience confidence like of going to the free? That's the Excuse other me. thing, of course. Yeah. The other thing. So I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see. It is going to be very interesting. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, um, 
one of the favourite things about the fringe for me is getting the fringe guide and designing a spreadsheet for the shows that I'm going to see that particular year. Because I knew you'd friends. like a spreadsheet. <laughs> I do. I, I do. And of course you are. All my friends who I come along, I design it all. It's all colour coded and I absolutely love it. Um, I've been to the Fringe office in the High Street and I've asked them, uh, is there any way at all um, I could have a copy of the programme since the 1947 when it started? And I don't know whether this is possible to do, but my question to you was, do you, have you kept every program since the Pick of the Fringes started? Because I'm, I'm, it's wonderful to see all the acts starting yeah. off and everything. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, I've got, uh, I've got my Fringe program since 1987. Wow. I, which I is when I started amazing. doing my solo shows. I, I bet and that. Then there was, in 1992, I did two shows a day. I did my solo show and the, the Eric It was, well, back then it wasn't called Pick of the Fringe. It was called Seen Anything Good. Right. Because um, <laughs> people would stop me. And when I was leafleting, I leaflet in person. If I, I saw a number of people sitting at a pub, I would just inveigle myself over and say, you know, yeah, have you thought about this one? Or And, and, and we'd start chatting. And then they go, oh, yeah, you've been here a while, haven't you? Um, what, what are you seeing? Have you seen anything good? What have you seen that's good? <laughs> seen anything good? And I said to my, I said to my wife, I said, I can't keep on the seen anything good. Seen, I said, we should bloody show them, shouldn't we? You know? <laughs> yes, right. so, the first, and, the, and the show was born. The show was born. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And um, I, I spent my audiences, I, I, was, I was getting quite decent audiences by this point, after five years, um, regular decent audiences. I said, look, I'm going to try this idea. Yeah. Um, and, uh, next year. And then what, in the actual year I did it, 92, I was saying, at lunchtime tomorrow, there's a new show. Um, it's three quid. You can get, uh, this is the price, this will show you how old it is. Three quid was the price of a pie and a pint at the cabaret bar. Wow. So I said, you can get a pie and a pint for three quid, three quid to get in, there'll be seven out. And it was in the cabaret bar. And so people had their feet on the stage in front of me. I was only three, you know, this much up in the air, little roster stage. That's brilliant. Just, a, just another example of how chaotic it was. Yeah. Um, the, the closing band was a, a, one day was called the Honking Hepcats. Uh, good old friends of mine. Over the, I met them up there and you know, became friends because they're really good <laughs> fun. And they, I knew they would be there because they're pros. But they've been out busking on the street doing a fish fry um, <laughs> and playing, you know, <laughs> doing jump jive and all that. Anyway, and, and, and I'm panicking and I'm looking and so more goes they're here and. <laughs> Stage left was the toilet and another way in. And the, the drummer arrived and, and with his bass drum and he said, yeah, we're all coming, you know, they're coming. So I, I'm, I'm by the mic and I'm taking a bass drum over the and the here over the top. And he's setting up and then the bass player can we get, oh, your amp has to be here. And with all the equipments arriving around me and the, the band started. You remember that rec record first, you take the Based on the yeah, yeah, yeah. Guitar yeah. Well, they did that. It was that. <laughs> Live in front of us. It was wonderful. wonderful. That's brilliant. Um, not like that anymore. No, no. Not like that now. You've got to be... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, Merv. So we're all living in strange times. How have you found online gigs as opposed to live gigs? Do you think there's a future for live comedy with online gigs or have you done many online gigs i think i i can only tell you that i haven't done any um because it, it doesn't attract me as an idea right um i can also tell you that i pretty much haven't watched any right. um because i don't I, i'm not sure about um how entertaining they can be um i i think it'll be a a bit of a plank up in the Edinburgh Festival this year because it's the one thing they can do yeah. with COVID. Yeah. Whether people are going to bother or not, I don't know. Um, maybe, a, a, I mean, what would you do? Try and put an hour's worth of entertainment on, a, on, a, on online? 
your Edinburgh there. show that you plan? Uh, or is it going to be like a 20 minutes of comedy, maybe? Or if you've got a theatre show, well, you'll create a trailer, I suppose. You wouldn't want to do an old hour, would you? Because imagine the costs of setting up decent camera work and props and scenery yeah. and whatever else for your theatre. Um, I, I don't know what the take-up will be. It'll be an interesting um, Petri dish this year. We'll see what, this, see what the story is. Um, I don't know whether people will think the watching online fringe is anything exciting. If you remember what you said about getting off the train at Waverley and being yeah. hit by the warmth and the buzz and the colour and the excitement, there'll be none of that with an online presentation. You, I don't know what bells and whistles you can hang around the, the framing of it to say, oh, exciting. I don't know. <laughs> you just, I don't know. It's, it's the same. I mean, I've just started going back to live comedy clubs and by god have i missed it you know i like to go out on a saturday night have a few drinks and then sit and laugh like a drain in a comedy club at the acts that are on sure. um i have been yeah, that's the only way really yeah it's the, my best way to watch it isn't it it has to be live because you get yeah. interaction you get spontaneous stuff that some somebody makes a remark in the audience and we're off aren't we you know? yeah yeah um i i i have seen a lot of online uh, gigs and they are a very good substitute but when they first started off there was no audio at all on them so I would just sit here and laugh with my big loud laugh at four walls and I thought I was going to get taken away <laughs> <laughs> well you mean like a, like a zoom audience yeah <laughs> is that what you mean when you said no audio well, there was no audio at all. You, the, the, there was n there was nothing at all. You could see the audience, but there was nothing very early. Uh, on. I thought this is not going to work at all. And then when 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 they did open up the audio, it's just to like the it's like a virtual front row. So certainly, if you're a comedian, you could send you could get the timing of the joke, so you could chat to the audience to try and get something going. But it's not the same. It is not the same because you're in the moment in the room and anything can happen when it's live, you know. It's kind of, it, I, I watched it uh, on Mock the Week uh, yeah. and, uh, and and Ranga Nation, you know, uh, yeah. Ramesh's Ranga Nation. Oh, superb, um, yeah. And you can have fun with people in, who is that bloke up in the top left, you know? What's yeah. that on your wall? Yeah, you know, yeah, you've, yeah, you've, yeah. Got, you've got more material uh, yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. just somebody's... <laughs> with an odd haircut or a strange jacket or whatever in row G, uh, there's a domestic dimension which could be, you know, good material. Yeah, yeah. And yes, yeah, so you do need to have a chat with the front row, don't you? That's what happens. Well, exactly, you know, and, and, and I think to bring the audio in is to get, to try and get the atmosphere of the live room. Uh, and and sure. but obviously you cannot beat it. And please, please come back soon, live comedy properly you know not just here and the excitement of course is you, the excitement of course is you don't know um how many in your i mean am i wearing trousers now? <laughs> it makes the whole thing so much more exciting doesn't it <laughs> exactly yeah um <laughs> let's you move on that. you don't get that at the palladium <laughs> matey i'll tell you now Let's move on. Security, man. this man is like changing. <laughs> Who are your favourite <laughs> comedians, past and present? Oh, lordy. Um, Did you grow up uh, well, I'm, with a I'm, lot of comedy? Yeah, because uh, we had the radio on a lot. Um, so obviously, I like Spike Milligan and Hancock. Uh, um, we also had um, vinyl comedy, and and I loved Bob Newhart, ah, um, the um, the driving instructor, which my son listens to now and thinks it's hysterical. <laughs> and uh, I thought the other day I must give it a go, maybe try and write something like that because no one's doing Bob Newhart, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it was joyful. The, uh, uh, the telephone call across to the office block opposite, where someone was hanging out the window. Hey, you don't know me. I'm in the office block opposite. Um, just wonderful. So that, um, and uh, I mean, contemporary-wise, I mean, there's, there'd be so many uh, 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 that I do like on, on the on the circuit. Um, yeah. 
uh, and, and some of the new new people. Um, and I, I wouldn't know how to list them all, but you know the people who stand out. I mean, the one that I remember, I'll say Peter Kay straight away. Yeah, you and me. Because um, I was I think was I part of a panel to judge um, so open um, so you think you're funny at the Gilded Balloon one year, but uh, but um, people came on and did stuff and yeah, mm, uh, and then this fellow bounced on. You know, not overly overweight, but uh, you know, chubby, <laughs> and um, he hadn't said a word. And I went, "This guy's funny." Yeah, yeah. You could just feel yeah. funny bones. Exactly. Funny. Yeah. And so it proved. I also um, this one usually splits the room, doesn't it? On the comedy so I, I love McIntyre. So do I. Um, so do I. And I'm and I'm absolutely furious that we didn't find him in Edinburgh because there was a year when he was killing it, but the powers that be weren't picking him for the award wow. to to able to to give him that platform to say yeah you're really good because that's what he needed to hear at that point you know he knew I, it in his head but he, and it's always nicer when the outsiders tell you I saw so there him um, who else that's about it I think they're, they're the top ones I mean yeah. I, I I was a, a friend of Victoria Woods from way back 1976 I met her Brilliant. yeah so, you know, straightforward stuff no, no surprises I'm afraid for me I I first saw Les Dawson in 1975 in Scarborough with with on the family holiday I was aged about seven and then a year later I saw Tommy Cooper and I just got the bug for it and and in the 80s I've seen everybody from Rick Mail, Ben Elton you mentioned before Frank Skinner mm -hmm. French and Saunders, all the big alternative boom. But I totally agree with you with Peter Kay. I think there is something more with the great comedians, with a twiddle of the glasses, with Eric Morecambe or the hat, with Tommy Cooper or the magic. And Peter Kay had it. I saw him in a club in Manchester before he was famous. He was fourth on the bill of five acts and I missed the fifth act from laughing. And I said to exact to my friend, he's gonna be a superstar. And, and I'm so delighted by him. And with, with Michael McIntyre, I think I saw, well, I did definitely see him in the Pleasance Above. And he played about 20 people doing the act he's doing on a Saturday night now. It was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I think, and it was that year that you were, you, you were describing. Amazing. You know, he should have been nominated oh, at least, yeah. you know, he wasn't. You know. Very, very much so. Um, I could talk to you all night, Mervyn. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. It really has. Um, is, there yeah. any, is there anything else you'd like to say before you go where people can find you on social media? Are you writing that infamous book yet? You would make a great a novelist with a, with a great author with all your stories. Oh, the, um, uh, well, we are looking at the possibility of writing a 30th uh, anniversary of the Fringe history that would be brilliant. Um, the trouble is you don't when you start you don't keep notes because you just it's a bit of a lark and we'll see how it goes yeah. it's only when you get to the 10th 10th uh, show and you have a bit of a gala on the 20th you have an even bigger gala and you think oh hang on um ah i think i have a history now <laughs> oh lord i know and I, I really can't remember not because of drug, drugs and alcohol i just can't remember um <laughs> <laughs> it's not the rock and roll story. I, I'd like to write the story of the Stones, but I don't remember any of it. <laughs> I was so out of it. It's not that. I just don't remember. Um, I'd probably need to just start writing it down yeah, and yeah. let it just state, and things would come out the woodwork of your brain. But um, I think uh, the only thing to, to, to say to people, we've talked a lot about it, uh, this pick of the fringe. Um, so there's a, uh, there's a site called Merv's Pot Fringe, Merv's, that's my name obviously, um, P-O-T, pick of the pot, fringe.com, Merv'spotfringe.com. Uh, it needs updating to, uh, I think now we know what's happening with June 21 onwards. We need now to put a piece up saying, look, this is how we view Edinburgh this year. And so it needs a total update. But for the background and uh, me talking about the show and explaining more about it it's all on there and also and stuff from last year and the year before i think all the all the stuff's on there bits of history recent history are there um and the youtube songs they're there and interviews my name in google and uh, and you know it's it's all there 
Uh, my, my name in YouTube and it's all there. Um, that's about it, really. Um, I hope, uh, Richard, I'll see you in um, 2022. Definitely, um, my I might go up and wave the flag this year. I, I might just wave the flag, do a two or three solo shows. But I don't know. I mean, who knows? You might extend from July 19 and then what have you got? You know, who knows? Who knows? Well, all I can say is please, please keep doing what you do. To me, you're an absolute hero for what you do. I mean, I'm trying to do my best supporting everybody with this blog. And, you know, I mean, we have enjoyed your showcases and what you do is just wonderful for the art industry. So please, please. Richard, every it. year, I will keep doing it, but uh, talk about your support. Every I walk on stage, most days of the festival, looked out about three rows back there, is your mug <laughs> grinning away at me like come on do the show man let's do it that's called support that's support you're, so thank you Richard. well you're very kind my friend and thanks so much and i'm looking forward to seeing you again very soon all right mate take care now all the best to you thank you so much man Bye.